first reading this morning is from Ephesians, um, chapter 3, verses 14 to 19. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And the second reading is Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 to 19. Oh, sorry, 1 to 9. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, this is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, to help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, once again we thank you for your word and we pray that you will lead us and guide us this morning to uh, give us uh, further understanding, help us to know you better, know the Lord Jesus Christ better, uh, that we may know our brothers and sisters better and therefore we can serve them better in our life together in the church. In our Lord's name we pray. Amen. Uh, you as a, uh, as a church uh, at St Stephen's, because of circumstances, that is the stuff which I've talked about which is coming at you from the wider church which is going to be ongoing and things happening within, within your own church family those things are coming at you and they could be you could be feeling sort of overpowered with those things issues coming at you from everywhere you may feel and it's probably causing some of you uh, if not many of you real anxiety you become anxious over these things because you care for the church. You care for God and you care for the church, of course. And so it can cause you to be anxious and worry and be concerned. There will be some of you who are affected personally in these things. And therefore, you get anxious even more for, for what happens to this person or what happens to this person, what happens to the church. 
And it's difficult to cope with these things. <coughs> well, how do you cope with all this stuff that's coming at you? Well, my hope is that Paul's exhortation to the church in Philippi, who, by the way, were going through, were they going through bigger stuff? They were going through huge stuff in Philippi. We, we read it very quickly, but these, these were going through huge issues, including terrible persecution, terrible things which their families were experiencing simply because they were Christians, and other stuff which was coming at them. That was the church at Philippi. And so my, my hope is that what the, the words that, that Paul says here will encourage you as you go through these uh, difficulties. And they prepare you, sorry to say this, for even bigger things in the future. If you're going to do things for God, God is not going to like, uh, Satan is not going to like that. And so you're going to get hit pretty hard individually and as a church. So I hope this is encouraging you. Because the, the aim of the Holy Spirit through Paul in this letter was to strengthen these Christians. It was to keep them spiritually stable through the trials that they were experiencing. And they were real trials. But Paul's aim uh, through the Holy Spirit was to strengthen them uh, through these trials. And as he comes to the end of his letter in chapter 4, he gives them these, these what I call uh, certain principles for stay, staying spiritually straight, stable. And that's what we've been looking at. And in verses 5 to 7 this morning, we come to uh, two more principles. So let's have a look at them. Firstly, verse 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Gentleness has been translated uh, in many ways in different, uh, different translations of the Bible. It's been translated as uh, consideration, for example, or forbearance, or tolerance, or moderation in the, what I call the, in the ESV, which I call the extra, extra special version of the Bible. Uh, that's called, I think it's reasonableness. Is that right? Have you got the ESV? It's called, translated reasonableness. It can be translated graciousness. But at its root, it means self-control. That is, be in control of yourself and of your behavior uh, towards other people, especially when others speak ill of you or disagree with you or say something bad about you. You may feel that you're right in this disagreement, but being gracious means you don't argue or refuse to budge about it. In fact, if they insist, you give way on it. Not on important issues. Not on the scriptures, for example, or doctrine, or what we believe, or holiness in living. There we stand firm. On those things we stand firm. But over, let's say, preferences. And the important thing about being gracious is always attitude. How you give way. You're not resentful or angry. You don't say, oh, well, you know, uh, well, have it your own way. You'll, you'll see I'm right. Yeah, let's go your way. You'll, you'll see that I'm right. No, even with difficult people, it is to be gracious. And we, we mustn't ignore them or be rude to them. We forbear with them. We try to understand them. We try to help them, even when their behavior towards us is badly or it is rude. You see, truly gracious behavior comes from a character that is not easily offended. <coughs> a it comes from a character which, is, which isn't oversensitive, which isn't touchy, as we'd say today, that doesn't take everything personally. Some people are like that, aren't they? They're just easily offended. You've got to be careful what you say. You're treading on eggshells when you're with them because they may take things personally. If you disagree with them or criticize them, uh, criticize something that they do, uh, or you ask them not to do something, well, they get upset over it. 
They take it very personally. Some people, even I found out in my ministry, I may be one of them, I don't know, but some people even enjoy being offended. They enjoy being offended because it makes them the centre of attention. Oh, oh, you've offended me. How many times in the day do you watch the television programme and oh, oh, you've offended me. I find that offensive. And what it does is it draws attention uh, to themselves. So some people even seek to be offended. And so as Christians, we control our behaviour. We try to understand, not pushing my rights, even giving up my rights if needs be. That is true graciousness. And that attitude, graciousness, doesn't come naturally to us. It's not within our sort of human nature. If someone is rude to us, our nature is to retaliate. So it's not our natural behaviour. Now this comes from the Holy Spirit. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. And it comes from a confidence and a trust in Jesus Christ deep down. So when somebody in the fellowship behaves badly or rude or unjustly towards us, we don't behave as they do to us towards them. We don't do that. We don't do the same. And I think this is crucial for the spiritual stability of a church. Some Christians are not in control of our behaviour in this way. Some Christians are easily offended and they get upset even in the church. I think this may have been the problem, I'm only guessing here, but I think this may have been the problem in Philippi with those two women, Euodia and Syntyche. I think it, the, the issue may have been here. They probably wanted their own way on some issue. They didn't get it, and so in pride they caused friction. Oh, well, if she wants this, oh, well, if Euodia wants that, well, I'm not going to do that, well, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do that. And it causes factions. But it shouldn't be in the Christian church. As Christians, we are to build relationships. It is easy to be hurt or offended. It's easy to be offended. It's more difficult but Christ-like to be gracious. It's a fruit of the Spirit and we must cultivate it. We must be self-controlled or better, Spirit-controlled in our behaviour towards others. But how do we achieve that? It's alright saying it. How do we achieve that? Well, Paul says, remember that the Lord is near. Remember that the Lord is near. He's saying, focus on the important issues of, of life. F focus on the big things of life. We're on this earth for a short time in eternity. 60, 70, 80 years at the most. It's, it's a sort of blink in eternity. Time is precious, he's saying. History walks towards the day of judgment when God will right every wrong. And if we're ill-treated by others, ultimately God will deal with it. Romans chapter 12, do not take revenge, says the Lord, I will repay. I'll see to that. And so look at the big picture. The Lord is at hand. He knows all. If somebody is unkind or unjust towards you, God knows and he will deal with it. In your church life together as a church family in the coming weeks and months and years, please remember this. Our task is to be gracious. Your task as an individual Christian is to be gracious towards your brothers and sisters. Yes, you'll fail. Of course you'll fail. But like he says about other thing, about unity, strive towards being gracious. You must strive to be it, even though we fail. 
Well, that's the first principle. The next principle is fair. It follows on. The next principle is found in verse 6. <clears throat> Don't be anxious for anything, but in prayer give thanks to God. I think this really is the test of a Christian's faith, isn't it? I, this, don't be anxious about anything, anything. But how? How do we not get anxious? What if I get hurt? What if somebody betrays me? What about all the stuff that comes at me? What if I've messed up? What if I lose my job? What if I'm diagnosed with an illness or my loved one is diagnosed with an illness? And, and, and how do I cope if I get anxious about these things? What do I do? Well, Paul implies in verse 7 that anxiety springs from the heart and from the mind. They control our emotions and our behaviour. You know this as well as I do. When you're anxious about something, well, it's certainly me, when I get anxious about something, my heart races, or, uh, my mind races, and, and it can affect you physically. You can lose sleep. It's not just on camp that you lose sleep, you know. You lose sleep when you get anxious or you can lose your appetite. You can get irritable. And it can even cause you to fear when you get so anxious. Our mind runs riot. We imagine all sorts of scenarios that could happen. And so our heart and our mind make us anxious. Serious anxieties or problems can consume you. When you've got an issue or a problem or a, or a struggle with something, that can actually consume you. You can't think of anything else. You bring it into every conversation with somebody. It consumes you. You can't hold a conversation or do anything. It can, it can cripple your ministry. It can knock your faith. It can lose your joy in the Lord. And so we become naturally, spiritually unstable because our hearts and our mind control us. And Paul says, to be spiritually stable, the heart and the mind mustn't control us. So, avoid it, he says. But how? How do we do that? Well, notice what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say, stop worrying. I hate those kind of people, don't you? I don't worry about it, Wally. It'll never happen. But it might. But it might. Well, he doesn't say that because Paul knows that if a person is anxious, if a person is facing illness or surgery or losing one's employment, they can't not worry. It's very difficult. Neither does Paul say, well, don't worry, it'll never happen. Don't, it may never happen. You don't know, it may never happen. Or don't, don't, don't worry, uh, you, you know, worrying won't change anything. You know, if you worry, yeah, you can worry, but it won't change anything. All that sounds like good common sense given by people who are sometimes irritating to Wally Bean when I'm going through these difficult things. I want to say, go away from me. That sounds like good common sense. But when you're anxious about something, it doesn't help much. Now, the answer that Paul gives for a Christian is, but in everything, every situation, a loved one ill, a death, a relationship problem, a falling into sin, a decision to make, a tragedy, a job loss, rejection, a deep hurt, anything. If you are anxious about anything, verse 6, then by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. That's what we do. And your immediate answer is, yes, but I, I, I've prayed, but there was no answer. Yes, but Paul puts it all in a particular way. There is an order in praying to God. And more importantly, there is an attitude in praying to God. 
Yes, prayer includes requests, but most importantly, it is praise and thanksgiving. I was very thankful to Jay this morning that he started the service with that. We come to give thanks to God, to give praise and thanksgiving. And it's exactly the same in prayer. When we come before God, even when we're desperate, we never come dictating to God or demanding We never tell God how to sort our situation out. Lord, please heal so-and-so. Take this problem away. Do this, Lord. I'll do this, Lord, if you do that, Lord. I'll do these kind of things. No, that's not how we come before God. How we come before God is extremely important. We do so in reverence, realizing who he is, his holiness, his honor, his glory. This is not a counselor that you're in front of. This is not your friend that you're in front of. This is Almighty God. He is the creator of the world. He is my creator. And he first deserves my thanks and my praise for who he is and what he's done. That's where we start in prayer. And the focus of our prayer, again, is giving thanks to God. That's our focus. Yes, I'm facing difficulties and struggles and hurts right now, but I have much to thank God for. I thank him for creation and life and eternal life, that Jesus gave up his glory in heaven and suffered and died and bore my sins, that God chose to save me. Is, is for much thank. He, he chose me despite me. He loves me despite me. Thank him for friends and family and the blessings I have, what he's done in the past. Yes, I'm struggling now, but he's brought brought me through things before, and so he's faithful, he is my father, he loves me, and he cares for me. And nothing will happen without his say-so. That's prayer. Not rushing into God's presence and claiming God's promises as if he owes us something. No, we must never come before God like that. That's how spoilt children selfishly behave towards their parents. It's not how Christians treat God. Our overriding attitude is one of thanksgiving. Confident of who he is, sovereign, in control, he knows what I'm going through, this is the way to come before God. This is what makes a Christian's prayer different from people who don't know God. If a non-Christian prays to God, it's mostly to get something that they want. They never do it any other time. They just come because they want something. There's no praise, there's no gratitude, there's no acknowledgement of who he is. Just, just get me out of this problem or make, me, make life happier for me or let me win the lotto, whatever it is. And when God doesn't answer, when, when an answer doesn't come, well, they, just, they don't believe anymore. God, God gets the blame. They don't get, well, oh, uh, you know, I prayed two days ago and didn't do anything. I, I've spoken with people. I, I'm, I used to be the same before I was a Christian. I exactly the same. But I speak with people who say, oh, oh I, w- I was desperate once and I prayed to God, but he never did anything, so I don't believe in God anymore. I don't believe in God anymore. That's never our attitude with God. God is God. He is our creator. We come with reverence, humility and gratitude we come with a gratitude attitude a beatitude attitude and when we come in this way Paul says in verse 7 the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus that is a great promise 
It is a great promise, but notice again what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say that God will take away what's making you anxious. He doesn't say, well, don't worry, things will get better. No, what's worrying us, what's making us anxious, may or may not take place. No, Paul says, pray and God's peace will guard your heart and your mind, meaning he will keep you stable through it. The two elements, the heart and the mind, that he told us about earlier, which would control us, will be at peace. That's what he's saying. And what is this peace? Well, it's the peace of God. It's part of God's character, so it is a gift from God, and therefore it is God's peace. It's not the peace which the... Um, I grew up in the 1960s with those dopey, crackpot hippies. If you were a hippie in the 1960s, I'm very sorry, but that's what we were. I wasn't a hippie, of course. I was very sane and very reasonable. But, you know, they used to go around with flowers in their hair, didn't they? Go to San Francisco and all kinds of stuff, and they had lovings and all this kind of stuff. These were at peace, man. You know, sort of peace with dope in their hands. And they thought we were at peace. Well, no, that's not the peace that Paul's talking about. Paul wasn't a hippie. And it's not the peace which people seek in Buddhism or yoga or transcendental meditation. Those things are a self-centered peace. Do you see, that? Do you see the difference? That those people are not interested in God. It's for me. I want it for me. They want their struggles and their troubles to disappear. They can go away so that they can be happy. That's what it is. No, God's peace is what Jesus spoke of in John 14. He said, peace I leave with you. And then he said, my peace I give you. See that? His peace. Divine peace. Which has little to do with taking your problems or your anxiety away. Or just your problems away. Rather, it's more concerned with keeping you in the midst of your troubles rather than taking those troubles away. It is upholding you through the storms rather than taking the storms away. When a large ship comes into a harbour, they're what's called channel boys which guide the ship into the harbour. And in strong seas, in storms and gales, those channel boys are knocked around and they're battered around through the storms. But they never go under. They stay above the waves. How do they stay above the waves? They are anchored deep, deep down. They can't be shifted in any storm. And that's like the peace of God in the heart of a believer. It can't be shifted. It goes deep. It is anchored which comes from realising that if you are in Christ, then because of who he is and what he has done and what he is going to do, ultimately, nothing can harm you. Nothing can harm you ultimately. Jesus Christ has reconciled you to God. Once I didn't want God in my life, I sinned against God. I ignored God in my life. I was, if you like, at war with God. I was destined to be separated from God forever. I was not at peace with God. But Jesus on the cross brought peace. And that is an incredible truth. If your faith is in Christ, the war between you and God is over. It's finished. There is peace. It's finished eternally. And not only that, 
But in Christ, everything that happens to you works for good. Everything. Every problem, every crisis, every hurt, every betrayal, every disappointment, every tragedy, every failure, it works for good. God works it for good. Romans chapter 8, everything eventually works for your, God, for your good. God sees to it. And ultimately in Christ, nothing. No tragedy, no trouble, no evil, no sin, no weakness. Nothing that you have done, nothing that you will do, nothing that you did years ago. Nothing, nothing, says Paul, can ever separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. And if you realise that and meditate and pray on that, God's peace will strengthen you. It will hold you and bring you through anything. And you and I can't fully grasp it. We can't grasp it. Paul says it's a peace which passes all understanding. You can't fully understand it. I was talking to a very good Christian friend of mine many, many years ago who suffered with manic depression. He was, a, he was, he was awful in his depression. And I went to see him in Sunnyside one day. And in the blackness, it was deep blackness for him. But he said to me, Wally, there's only God. There's only God. He hang, God hung on to him even in his deepest depression. But he, couldn't understand, he can't understand it, but he holds you. But it's a deep knowledge inside that God is God who is acted in Christ and he can be trusted completely. It is a deep-seated assurance of the love that God has for you. Paul says in Ephesians 17, I pray... He says, I pray to the Christians, he says, I pray that you may have the power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. That's it. The love of Christ is long and wide and high and deep for you and you just know it deep, deep down. I know that my Redeemer liveth. I just know it. It surpasses all human knowledge. You can't explain it properly. I can't explain it properly. But Paul prays that you will know it and be filled with the fullness of God. That is the peace of God. That's what he's praying for. Which doesn't come from selfishly seeking my own happiness or getting my way or being concerned about whether people offend me or not or how I'm going to prosper. If your life or my life is fulfilled and concerned with only me or anything other than God, you won't experience the peace of God. You may experience the falseness, but it won't be the peace of God if you're concerned with yourself and not God. And how does the peace of God come to a person? Paul says, in Christ Jesus. The peace of God comes by knowing Jesus Christ, living for Jesus Christ. And it is maintained, here we go again, it is maintained by remaining in Christ. Remaining, that is continuous. Jesus said, abide in me and I will abide in you. If you are a Christian and not maintaining and growing in your relationship with Jesus through prayer, God's word, fellowship, serving, then when the hits come, it will knock your faith. If other stuff in life is taking us away from Christ, from church, from prayer, then when the hits come, you will go under spiritually. You'll be nothing but anxious all the time. Your faith will be up and down. 
but in Christ you will be kept. Like the channel boy in the harbour, you will be battered around, the storms will come, you'll get hurt, but you'll stay above the water, stable. It will be hurtful and painful, but you'll stay stable because the deep anchor of God will never, never let you go. Whatever comes, he cannot move. He, cannot ch- he never changes. He remains God. And Paul is saying, go to God in prayer continuously, sincerely, in humility, with thanksgiving, and you will know true peace. And this is not just theory. I'm not just talking about theory here. Read the lives of the great saints. It's very encouraging to read the struggles that they, they went through. Read the life of uh, the man who wrote uh, When Peace Like a River. Re- re- read his life. He lost his wife and four daughters. I'm sure you know that. And he was devastated by that. But he knew that he would see them again. He knew he'd see them again because God promised. And the peace of God comforted him. Consider Paul the Apostle here in a prison cell facing a possible death sentence. His problems wouldn't disappear. They're not going to disappear. But he has the peace of God. And he's trying to comfort his fellow brothers and sisters, not himself. He has the peace of God. See Jesus himself facing the suffering and the agony of the cross. He faced that cross. He faced the cross with the sins of the world on his soldier, on his shoulders. See him in the Garden of Gethsemane and the thought of the cross and all the suffering is upon him. All that is upon him. And it says in Mark chapter 14, Jesus began to be deeply depressed and troubled. And in the Greek they are very strong words. And he said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. Tremendous anxiety, which you and I will never know. Tremendous anxiety. What does he do? Well, he goes to his father in prayer. And then he's ready. And he faces his accusers with absolute calm, with absolute dignity, and with peace. And that's what Paul exhorts us to that we would be spiritually stable when the trials come. And brothers and sisters, they will come. Some of you are going through them right now. And if you're not going through them now, are you preparing for them spiritually? Because they will come. We live in an instant world today, and this comes into the church. And many Christians want the promise that this verse brings immediately. They want the, the, the peace that it promises, but they're not prepared to pay the price. That is, the daily walk with Jesus Christ, working at building your relationship with him in a deeper and deeper way. Well, I encourage you to begin that walk now, if you haven't. And God will keep you. The peace of God will keep you. So in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving and making your request known to God, and the peace of God which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. May God bless you in these coming days. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to give you thanks for this great apostle. who showed his absolute concern for his brothers and sisters rather than what he was facing. We thank you for him. But we thank you more for his Lord. 
who also walked that road to Calvary of suffering and how he must have been distressed how he must have been anxious facing the suffering but he went to you Father and I pray for this congregation this church here that's St Stephen's I pray your blessing upon him in the com- on them in the coming days help them to know your peace help them to go to you in troubled times with thanksgiving and give you thanks and praise for all that you are and all that you've done in Christ and let them know deep down that you're in control you know what's going on you know their hurt and their pain and their struggles and we pray that they would know your peace Father in our Lord's name we pray Amen